Hey, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of The Cusp Show, the Columbia University Sports Podcast, where we talk about the business of sports with all kinds of executives, investors, athletes, students, etc. cetera. Uh, and I usually do that with my partner, Joe Favorito, but Joe is actually out on the West Coast right now attending the World Congress of Sports and taking care of some other business. So I'm going to do this solo. And we're going to stray a little bit from the mainstream world of sports today to have what should be a really interesting conversation about marketing, networking, and podcasting, and some some issues that I love to talk about. We're going to do that with um, a woman named Laura Mignot, who is the CEO of a New York City. How do we say this, Laura? Experience. Experience communications, communications company. I'm sorry, I hesitated on that, but <laughs> I've never actually phrased that before. Um, and we'll talk about what that means in a second. And Laura is also the founder and host of a pretty popular podcast about marketing and networking called The Reset Podcast. And we'll tell everybody where they can find that stuff later on. But uh, first, I want to say welcome, Laura, to The Cusp Show. Hey, Tom. Great to be here. It's really nice to have you. And um, I'm looking forward to this conversation because we've had the uh, pleasure of speaking um, off mic a couple of times about what you're working on and some really interesting stuff. So with no further ado, let's get to know you a little bit um, and hear the Laura story uh, and how you got into this business. And, and then we'll talk about what you're working on now and, and some of the issues that come out of it and how you got into podcasting too. Sure. Uh, the Laura story is um, a fun tale of how to do things unusually to an awesome result. So uh, I'm the CEO of DFlash, we're an experienced communications agency, and what that means is that we're in the business of people. So we design experiences for brands, whether that's a pop-up, a multi-city tour, that's a launch party, but it could also be a private dinner, it could be a conference, it could be a summit, it could be an e-sports activity. You name it, we've built it. Over the last seven years, we've produced about 400 events. And for us, it's not just about the event, it's all around the communications aspect, which is why we call it experience you know, communications, because anytime you do an experience smartly, you want to bake social into it. It shouldn't be an afterthought. I was having this conversation a couple hours ago with a potential a new client, and they were all the way to the end of building an activation, and then were now thinking about social. Forgetting that in this day and age, that has to be ingrained in how you design a space, how you pick a space, how you're going to market that space, utilizing all the social tools that are available. All the how you curate an audience. Too, how you right? find that audience yeah. is going to actually walk through the door and actually right. want to stick around. And so we did that from the very onset of our business by having events we wanted to go to and using social tools to get people to come. So you now have a simple website, invite people on Twitter, invite people on Facebook, they came. And then that kind of grew into a really awesome agency that now services brands like Netflix and Samsung and Bose, Amazon, whole host of startups and trade associations, you name it, we've probably worked on it. So how did you get there? Uh, so, I mean, you don't, you didn't just wake up one nope. day and say, "I'm going to do an experience communications." Not agency. at all. Basically, I wanted to be a lawyer for as long as I could remember because I was always good at arguing with people. Um, and I was pre-law at NYU, and then I took the LSATs and I bombed it twice. 
and I got my score back and I got into like two law schools that were my like, not even safety, but like, oh, hell no schools. <laughs> and those were the ones I got into. And I just decided that I didn't want to go to those schools. And so um, I have I have Jamaican parents. And so if anyone's listening has, has Caribbean parents, the idea of you not having a job isn't an option in their household. So my mom said, okay, go get a job. So I did what any smart kid does at 22. I went back to everywhere I ever interned in the four years I'd been at NYU, reached out to every single boss. And this is kind of part of my networking thing where it's like, be nice to people. And it doesn't, going out of your way doesn't mean I have to like bend over backwards, but you'd be surprised at the, the general kindness when you're just good to people and always comes back to you. And I think that's been the one trace of my career is that I have always been that person to sort of, oh, hey, how are you doing? What's going on? Because you never know how much that helps because you could say to someone on a day when they're having a really crappy day and because someone took a moment to say, oh, hi, how's it going? They remember that and it plays a big impact on their, on their remembering how, how awesome you were for them. Um, and so my former former boss, at a place I had interned when I was 19, I hadn't talked to her in three years, um, wrote me back. Out of the 14 people I reached out to, she was the only person who responded to my email. And uh, she said, well, my admin just quit. So um, would you be interested in having a job as an admin? Now I spent four years at NYU. I have all these awesome friends who are at Stern gonna be making gazillions of dollars. My friends at Tish are gonna be doing their own films. I'm gonna take this admin job where we'll still be living at home on Long Island. I took the job um, and it was the best decision I ever made because she's a management consultant and uh, she basically ran her own consultancy for the last 15 years. And so I got a front row seat on how a female executive does business. And I think, again, something that I didn't know I was gonna need to know until 10 years later when I started my own business. Um, but I work with her because she did a lot of work in the fashion and licensing, so the business of fashion. So not the fancy fashion shoots, but where the actual mm. money gets done. Licensing products. And so again, similar to like what happens in the NBA or any sports leagues, like every piece of merch has to get licensed. So I learned about that stuff when I was 22, 23 years old. And because I was basically her admin, I got to go to all of her meetings. And because she was old school and didn't write emails, I took dictation and wrote her emails for her. So I learned how to craft really good emails. Mm -hmm. um, and then along the way, I worked for three years and learned a ton, networked with a lot of people because she took me to every event. She was like, you're gonna be like my second in command. And I got to meet people. I, I learned how to properly shake this person's hand and actually have small talk. All those things that you don't really get taught when you're in college, mm -hmm. but come in really handy so that when, you're the, when you look fairly young, but you walk into a meeting and you can have your health held high and be, um, and, and be perceived as, as, as an authority comes in quite handy. Um, and then around the third year, she's like, you, know, you need to go to business school because like, you like money. <laughs> so I went to business school at night while working for her. And nice. I, I went to Keller Graduate School, which is you know, part of DeVry, mm -hmm. and was able to go to work during the day and, and did my um, master's degree at night for two years. And so by the time I was 25, I had a master's degree. And at that point, I was like, okay, what do I do next? Yeah. I mean, did you have a sense of what you wanted to do based on the experience oh. uh, with that first job? Well, I realized what it meant to be in charge and what, that, what the weight of that came from and how you could be smart and savvy, but still a really good executive. Because she had, she had no business school training. She used to be a model. Mm -hmm. And she, well, but she also had gone to design school. 
So she ended up in the business side by asking, like, I don't want to be a model anymore. What else can I do? And they gave her the job of helping to do some of the design. And then that turned her into an executive. So I learned and watched from her. And I thought to myself, you know, I'll do this like business school thing for a few years. I'll go work for somewhere big. And then at some point I'm going to have my own business. I was thinking, oh, no, 10 years later, I'll, I'll have my own business. And I ended up being a, a lot less than 10 years later. Right. Um, so what was the prompt? I mean, it's, it's, but interesting. So at age 25, you had the sense or the confidence that you were going to do something entrepreneurially at some point yeah. I knew I knew I, I just I had seen what she'd been able to do and right. I saw what it meant to sort of manage your own schedule and also not be and also I saw that how she was able to walk into any room and she wasn't behind the scenes mm-hmm. like she was she was there because that was being that they had made for her to be right. have her and I was like I want to learn how to do that so I went and worked for advertising agencies over the next few years and you know did project management and because um, I had a master's degree, you know, made a very good salary. It was great. Worked on big web dev projects, making multi-million dollar websites, working with developers and designers on like Snickers and pharmaceutical brands. You name it. I probably built a very expensive website for it. Um, but I knew that like the, this, this doing things on my own uh, was somewhere I was going to go. And I, I was still pretty shy. I wasn't super overly gregarious with people. And I ended up at a tech company um, in 2009, and they turned everybody into a sales into salespeople when you got there. And I knew I had no sales training, and I had no desire to cold call to anybody. And I said, "Okay, well, I guess I can go out to these networking events and go talk to people because that might work." And mm-hmm. so that's what I did. Mm-hmm. So I started going to events and meeting people and saying, "Hey, listen, we do this software thing. If you want to learn more, I'm happy to do a lunch and learn and kind of tell you about this." And that worked. People started coming to these lunch and learns and I started selling. And I was like, oh, cool. And then I had the idea, well, what would happen instead of me going to these events, what if I threw the events? Because I could probably get a higher number of potential leads if I hosted an event that had 50 people than I went to an event where I was gonna be one of 50. Um, and so that's basically how DFlash got born because if I could get more people to show up, I have way bigger pool to go after. Wow. That's a that's a good insight at a young age. Seriously, <laughs> like you would never, you wouldn't, yeah. you wouldn't think that, that would be the insight. But like, so Laura, what was the prompt to actually pull the trigger and, and, and quit do, everything and, and do deep flash? So once these events are going well as a side hustle, as I'm working my full time job, I realize that I now have these big brands who are asking us to do these events, and I'm like, why am I gonna now turn this around and give this to this company that I'm working for? I can probably make more money. So. So I'm on the phone with a very large beverage brand in my office at my, at my tech company I'm working at. And I'm like, I don't want to give them this lead at all. Like mm. what they need is what I can give them. They don't need this software. They need an event series. And so I remember, I remember getting off the phone and then talking to my former partner and being like, okay, I'm quitting. Like we have zero dollars, um, but I think we're on to something because like these guys want to pay us. And so I made the leap and I had no backup plan. So you closed that deal to start it? Yeah, closed that deal. And then the next day when we went in to meet another publication and say, hey, listen, we've, we've quit our jobs, we're doing this full time, that company hired us too. So right off the bat, we had two big brands as clients. But there was no safety net. Like I basically cashed out my 401k and was like, okay, we're just going to go for this. And I was like, what's the worst that could happen? If this fails, 
I was an entrepreneur for a little bit that would probably increase my value going back into the real world of like uh, corporate agency life, but I'll have some really cool experience. Mm -hmm. And so that was sort of the gamble that I made. And I'm happy to say seven years later that it was a very successful gamble. Wow. So you, you, you talked to me off mic about how you, you've infused your agency and your approach with social media. But when you were starting this, social wasn't quite as important as it is these yeah. days. Oh, yeah. So tell me about how that started and evolved. Well, it's funny. Kind of that, that insight, because it really does make a lot of sense. You know, we said that we put the social back in social networking from very on because it's all great to sort of tweet at somebody, but the in-person, like, oh, I now meet you in real life and sort of off of Twitter was actually a really interesting insight. But also the fact that you can continue the conversation because literally with our events, we would tweet about them, Facebook post about them, LinkedIn, this is early, early, early Instagram, take photos of that. People could see what these events were. They could see that they were cool. They could see the types of people who were attending and go, oh, I want to learn more about that. We put the videos up online and they're like, oh, I had no idea that person did XYZ. I want to connect with that person. All right, well, you know, link you guys up on Twitter and you guys can go out and have a chat. So from the very, like in our company DNA, using social media has been an endemic part of what we do because we know that if you use those tools early on, you're going to have a much better event because if people know about, oh, I can follow the hashtag for this event, so I can't be there in person, but I can follow the hashtag. That's awesome. Or if I can follow the, watch the video, watch the live stream, those things allow you to essentially be a part of the conversation, even if you can't be there in person. And the ability to connect people with you, whether you're a big brand, whether you're a trade association, whether you're a startup, that connection and that connective tissue that you begin to create using social media is going to be your best possible bet for success. And so how are you, were you and your small team developing those muscles? Like, how did you learn how to do it so well? Trial and error. I, I figured that was going to be your answer. <laughs> like, <though>. Literally, like, <laughs> we just, like, we tried everything we could get our hands on. And but were you reading tutorials on how to expand uh, your Facebook reach or something like that? Or? Literally, no. Okay. I mean, we literally met a lot of the folks who were early on sort of leading influencers in the yeah. industry who were working for big brands or working for much bigger agencies and you know got a lot of learning by osmosis. I will say that this is also something that came in very handy for our business, that we networked five nights a week for two years. And so we physically networked. Literally physically networked. Right. And then followed up with those people. So LinkedIn with them. Follow them on Twitter. Right. If, it, if we made a really good connection, and became a friend with them on Facebook and and started to create relationships with those people. Right. So went beyond, oh, here's my business card, isn't that great? But like actually found out who these people were and learned about those folks and said, oh, hey, I hear you're doing blah, how blah, did, blah. How did you curate the events you'd attend? Like what, what, <laughs> what, what would you follow? Oh, no, seriously, because there's so much stuff going on in New York. Like what did you... How did you decide what to do? So we decided that like we wanted to try and do industry three out of the five days, and then two or two or you know, one or two would be just like something that seems unusual. And so the idea was that like yes, industry is important, but social is going to touch real estate, social is going to touch architecture, social is going to touch hedge funds. So go to those events, and oftentimes you know we'd be the only women there at some of these events. I'm like hi, nice to meet you, and it would, and always go by the food because that's always great. A great networking tip like food and booze are the best places to go to go talk to people and say hey what brings you here right. and that's basically what we did because we and then we invite those same people who were at the real estate event to come to our event and be like right. hey listen you know 
it's this digital thing is happening for you too and it's going to affect what your job is so if you're able to like hear from these folks because you know our events are very welcoming and charge ten dollars we had open bar and swedish fish like that was our like the, that's basically what our uh, our initial mantra was like come on learn from learn from the best for 10 bucks right and that allowed us to basically have a really diverse network of people who attended, but then also were able to connect with other people on and then offline. Well, if my partner were here, Joe, he would say, once again, the value of showing up, right? <laughs> Something with, there's been a theme in this podcast, but it's really a good point. And, and, I, and I saw, you, you know, you put that to practice a few weeks ago <laughs> when I, I, I met you through a, a mutual connection. Uh, I mentioned the NYBC sports event which I think might have been a week or two later. Yeah. And lo and behold, there you were. And you brought some people. And I hope you enjoyed it. And hopefully you'll the next one. Yeah. So let's put it. So the idea of cross-pollinating is really interesting. Not just focus on the industry that you're living in, but actually go beyond your networking comfort zone. It's, a, it's literally, it's it's one of those things where it's like, you know, I, I give it in very stark contrast. Network or starve. Because when I was trying to essentially find new clients at this job where I was now forced to become a salesperson, if I didn't close anything, I was not getting paid. I had rent to pay. So it was basically like, what is it going to cost me to go to an event and maybe meet three people? And my goal was like, let me try and get two to three business cards at everything I go to. And I still kind of keep that up. With like, oh, I'd like to meet two or three people at this event that has 100 folks and, and, and get some value out of that. And it's not because... You know, it's you know, you're trying to be this heavy duty salesperson, but like relationships matter. You know, we're seven years in, four hundred plus events, we are ninety-eight percent word of mouth business. And those big brands that are my clients all came through word of mouth. Like that that was not knocking on doors and getting to the right person at the right person at the right time in their office and like sending them cookies. It was Either someone had met me, I, they came through a friendly referral, or they'd come to one of our events, or I met them at a conference, and we made the impression whereby like, oh, I want to have this conversation, and oh, by the way, I think I have something for you. So that you know, we put that very much into practice. That you know, as digital as we are, it is still very much a human business, and being able to connect with people, build relationships with people. You know, one of the things I always say for younger people is like. It is a long game out here. Like I know in the super fast condensed world, you think everyone's attention span is like 0.2 seconds, but relationships matter. And the time that you spend on relationships does matter. And if you look at the people that we work with today, I've probably known them five, six, seven years. And it wasn't I was waiting for them to finally give me a project. They're like, no, I've built a relationship with them. And like, oh, hey, do you need something? Like, can I? Can you know who's gonna go to this conference? Yeah, I can send you that list. Sure. Or do you? Can you connect me to someone who does blah blah blah? Yeah, sure. Get out of the way. Because like you build these relationships with people as opposed to just being so transactional. Like I'm, I, I try and impart with a lot of folks like, don't be so transactional. Just be a human being. And if you can offer some help and like, oh hey, like you're doing this thing, like. Yeah, dude, I know him. He's friends. I, like, if I don't think that I, there would be something valuable for you two to connect about, I'm not going to mention it. But if like you're doing X and you're doing Y, and you see and you come well regarded, I'm like, yeah, totally. Why not? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I, I'm I'm with you on that, and it's it's really just this simple idea of practicing the golden rule, professionally speaking, and paying it forward. And um, I think those people who conduct themselves that way in their professional environments do do fine for themselves. But you mentioned a phrase that, that has been ringing in my head since, since it came out of your mouth, which is 
this idea of network or starve. So I think maybe you and I should talk about a podcast uh, with that name because it's, it's too good to let go. But I, but I do want to talk. <laughs> I do want to talk about your podcast because somewhere, despite the fact that the vast majority of your business was coming word of mouth, that somewhere along the way you realized you needed to be a little bit more proactive with your marketing, and you chose to do a podcast. Well, yeah, it's one of those things where, like, you know, we've been in business about five, yeah, that's five years at that point. You hit that five-year mark, and you're like, okay, all this word of mouth is great, but what else can we do? And I took a look at the landscape and said, you know, we don't market ourselves as much as we should. And, you know, our clients, we can market the hell out of them. We're great at marketing for our clients. We are terrible at marketing for ourselves because, you know, we kind of got a little comfortable in getting that word of mouth um, referral base. And I thought to myself, well, what is the thing that we could do that we could essentially kind of be in people's ears, get in, get in front of people? Because we had, at that point had stopped doing our monthly events because, you know, you kind of get, after doing it for five years, it kind of gets a little bit, you want to do something else. Um, and I thought, well, the podcast is interesting. And so I listened to hundreds of podcasts trying to figure out where we could sort of fit in the lexicon of podcasts. And where I sort of netted out was that, like, I wasn't hearing from people who were doing the real business of business. I hear a lot of, like, fluffy and golden, isn't this amazing? And I'm so awesome and I'm crushing it. And that's a foolishness. And actually, to get where you need to go is long, dirty, horrible, and hard. And okay. I think that if we don't acknowledge the struggle, you'll never like. There's always a meal. There's always a message in whatever mess you have. But like having people who have been successful in business sort of talk about how they got there and what, and even even though they're there, what that actually means um, was something that I thought was missing. And I think my perspective of you know, you know being a woman in business, especially, I I, you know, I have uh, I have unique challenges, and I don't look at that as a as an issue, but as like an opportunity to have larger conversations. Mm -hmm. And so, with the reset and having that really cool network of how did you pick the name by the way? Um, literally, it was um, over cocktails because all my great ideas come from cocktails. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and like I was having a dinner with a friend and I was telling her about the idea and then I was like I don't know it's going to have to be something that's separate from D-Flash and I, I think I, I, I kind of feel like we just need a re reset and then she looked at me I looked at her and I was like that's the end of the podcast okay. <laughs> uh, but yeah but that, and that's what we focus on so we get executives we get entrepreneurs we get lobbyists we get the woman who introduced currency to women in Nepal we get executives from big, big companies who are now going to do their own thing. And we talk about what they what in their industry needs to be reset. And they get honest, they get brutal, they get real. And I think that, to me, are the best conversations. Because especially for students who are listening, like not everything is easy. And you will have struggle. You will make a million and one different mistakes. Like, I make a million mistakes a week. And okay, I learn from them and then I, I kind of move on. So I think if you can hear from people who've been very successful, but they talk about how they got their start, what they do, the challenges that they face in business today, um, that's the best part of learning. And you know, for me, I think 
I'm a constant student of always learning and, and trying to find new things that I don't know about and putting myself in, in awkward positions. Like I wrote an article for, for Forbes about like my, my year of yes last year, which was saying yes to everything for 12 months. Um, so basically anything that was unusual, whether it was a trip, it was a party, it was a, like a if it was a private dinner and God knows where, um, a trip to the south of France, like whatever, learning how to swim. Uh, I did it for a year and I put myself out of my comfort zone. And I think oftentimes when we're entrepreneurs or uh, in you know new types of businesses, we kind of get stuck in those ruts. And what you have to do is figure out how to get out of those ruts. And by putting yourself in places where you wouldn't normally expect yourself to be, that can help stretch you in, in really unique ways. What are, are you actively listening to any of those podcasts that you checked out before you started re- the reset? Yeah, kind of, sort of. I've actually been on the, I actually got gifted a book recently. Okay. Um, and uh, by my lawyer, who also happens to be a good friend of mine. And he's like, you have to listen to this book. And I'm like, all right. And it's Ray Dalio's Principles. Okay. And I have been floored by how much I enjoyed this book. And I encourage you all to download it, listen to it on Audible, um, because it was one of the most, it was the most reset-like book I have ever, I've ever heard. Because just how I talk about like the struggle can be long, difficult, and hard. Um, hearing someone who is one of the richest people in the world talk about how he also had made a huge mistake you know, overextended himself and had to start from scratch all over again after being very successful was a wake up call for me because even how I've done my business and to hear someone like that go through this, it's like, all right, if he can have that horrific thing happen to him and then rebuild, what am I complaining about? What am I like, what am I kind of saying? Oh, well, it's not blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah, no, I can, I can learn from this, but mm-hmm. I can also say like the, the more well-rounded you are as an individual, the better off you're going to be um, when marketing yourself out to the world as well. Right. Do you read a lot of nonfiction books? No, because I, I travel a mm-hmm. lot. And so I listen to tons of podcasts instead. Right. And I tend to listen to stuff that makes me laugh okay. <laughs> um, because it's like the world is crazy. Uh, but yeah, you know, but then I also listen to, you know, uh, a little bit of everything in between. Yeah. So a lot of NPR, um, but then listen to like Ira Madison, but then I also listen to the Real Housewives wrap-up shows. So <laughs> like, which I love. Um, any other uh, podcasts in the general category where Reset is any of the marketing podcasts or kind of entrepreneurial podcasts? Just curious. Um, you know, I think we sort of sit in a really, like I said, we sit in a kind of interesting neck of the woods. So like yeah. I listen to like the Behind the Brilliance podcast, um, uh, I have to go back and look. listen to Rachel Maddow pies a lot because I can't. Yeah. Uh, but for us, you know, I think it's always good to just sort of like do a little bit of scan and yeah. see what's. I like. I kind of like play like podcast roulette where I'll just like sort of scan through. Yeah, and also choose it based on the guest, right? Yeah, and so, see who's so on I, the- I mean, that's typically for me. That's the way it's evolved. Where I will look at uh, a new episode of a show that I like, and uh, I will determine usually pretty quickly whether. I'm into it the or not. person and the subject matter interests me enough to spend 45 minutes or an hour. Yeah, and totally. Sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. Or I'll, I'll give it 10 minutes or five minutes up front, get a sense of where they're going to maybe go and decide oh. if I want to continue. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think but I, I think it's also still really important to sort of keep that well-roundedness. Right. And so, like, you know, I listen to a lot of arts and culture stuff, like right. still processing and tea with Queen and Jay and, all, you know, all those things. Because I think... 
you know, what oftentimes happens is we become these sort of bots that only think about business and read the business books and don't do that right. stuff. And I'm like, that's boring. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, because think about it this way, like you want to be able to have a conversation with someone at a cocktail party and you want to be able to talk about something that's not just about business. Yeah. Um, do you read fiction? Enough time. <laughs> um, the, I, the last nonfiction book that I read actually was really good um, was about um, the history of CIA, right. which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a, I read that earlier, like early last fall. Right. It was a massive book, right. but it was really cool because it's all about how this agency um, came out of nowhere to become one of the most powerful power brokers in Hollywood, right. and so it was a pretty riveting read. And I'd gotten um, here from the author at a, uh, an event the month before, so nice. it was really, it was really neat to hear from him. Laura, before we um, before I ask a couple of wrap up questions, um, give me a kind of your take on where things are in the Marcom marketing communications business right now. What are, what are the biggest challenges with all the disruption in the world with digital and social media? Technology, et cetera. What are the biggest challenges right now in, in your estimation based on the, the conversations you're in and the, and the discussions you're having? It's interesting. Um, I think what people are trying to figure out is how to integrate digital intelligently. Like, it's sort of crazy to me that, like, we are now almost 10 years into this and we're st- I'm still having conversations with people about putting a hashtag on something. <laughs> like, I literally had this right. conversation this morning with a huge brand that's publicly traded. And I was like, you have to do that. And the woman who you know is from a big consulting firm and is now their head of marketing, she's like, you know, I hadn't thought about that. I'm like. <laughs> was, it, was it just ignorance about social media marketing or was it arrogance? I mean. I think what it is, is that they've heard it so much that it often beca- it becomes an afterthought to the point where like you forget almost about like it. Almost like a cliche. Like it a almost becomes player. it almost becomes a marketing cliche. And what I, you know, what I've been seeing a lot of is that you know they try and be on every single platform. So Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, uh, Twitter, YouTube, Pinterest. And it's like, well, actually, maybe you just need to be on one. Right. Like what you're trying to do. And I think the where I where I'm seeing a big deficiency is in strategy. And I think that's where the biggest opportunities lie. Because if you think all of these things through, no matter what you're doing, whether it's esports, whether it's you know, the in-arena in experience for a sports team, whether it's the offline um, communications with the fan clubs, or whether it's the online fan clubs, like, what are you trying to do? Who are you trying to talk to? Like, that fundamental question needs to be answered. And then once you've figured out who you're talking to, how can you talk to them? Are they in the stands? Will you, you know, use a gun and send them a t-shirt? Or are you gonna create something whereby they can, it becomes a destination for them to be in your arena? Right. Um, if you're talking to them online, are you doing like a separate fan page that doesn't have anything to do with Facebook but is solely owned by that league or that particular team? Um, there isn't, and there is no right or wrong answer. There's multiple answers because depending on who and what you are, all those things could be true. None of those things could be true. Right. But I, you know, we've been seeing a lot of um, companies coming to us saying, "Can you kind of tell us what we're doing wrong?" And we're like, "Okay, the first thing we need to do is like, what is your strategy?" Mm-hmm. And the response we get is, "There is no strategy." Mm-hmm. And so I think that's a tough thing to tell a client. It's a good thing to be a smaller agency. Yeah, and I think you know, being a smaller agency allows us a lot more flexibility to sort of say that. Um, right, but are they looking at you since since you focus on largely events and the communications around the events? Are they looking at you through a narrow lens, or they're willing to listen to you 
for some broader thoughts broader about thoughts. big strategy. They, th- they see us as, I think, they kind of see us as like these sort of arbiters of culture. Because a lot of times we'll say that, like, you know, we're at that intersection of culture and conversation because we're at all the events, we're at all the conferences. Everyone on my team comes from a very diverse background. No one's an event planner by trade. Like, they've come from somewhere else. And so we're infusing whatever we do with those unique backgrounds. Like, again, I was a project director. I had never planned an event before by, before I launched an events company. Didn't matter. Um, it probably was a strength as opposed to a weakness for us. But the fact that we sort of see, we sit in this unique place, I think I was saying we're kind of like Switzerland, mm-hmm. because we're at tech, brand, agency, culture, we can look at the world uniquely and then be able to say to a brand, listen, this is cool, but what we're seeing is like this, this, and this, and this. And they're paying us to say, they hear, because they right. want to hear that, because right. like, we're not, we're not beholden to that because, okay, like we're at our desks all day, like trying to make sure these ads are flighted. We're at, we're out in the we're actually out in the wilderness and we're able to actually be at these conferences and we're be we're you know we're at these these really unique events and sort of we can talk to folks and hear what's happening on the ground and it's not a transactional conversation mm-hmm. so we can actually hear what's actually happening right. and take those insights back to brands and say like listen you know here's what we're hearing in startup world like this is a lot of opportunities are here here and here and if you guys were able to create something kind of interesting and unique online and offline you have a chance for a winner right. and that's sort of where we sort of uh, we sort of have this sort of unique kind of strategic consultancy role that kind of dovetails well into the experiences we, cr- we create, which is why we say we're the, that communications aspect mm-hmm. and baked into communications is, is communication strategy. Right. And so because of that, it allows us to be far more unique and nimble to our clients and come up with unique ideas that, you know, again, we're not trying to get fired from our giant $10 million a year AOR um, right. contract. We're probably coming in as a consultant on this pro- per project yeah. thing, mm-hmm. and if you're if you've come to us, the reason you're coming to us is because you want this. Yes. If you wanted like the big giant um, event production agency, you would probably have gone to them already. But like, if mm-hmm. you want different thinking, like how we were able to get, like we did an event for Netflix where we got Angelina Jolie to come um, and speak to high school students, and it was and it's the only STEM school in Los Angeles, California that's all girls. The reason we were able to get that school to do that was because I'm on the board of their New York counterpart. Like, there's no other reason anyone even knows this school exists. And for Netflix, like, how can we do something private that would be impactful and meaningful to the right kind of students? Well, yeah, you came to us because we have those deep relationships in places that you wouldn't normally think. Mm-hmm. Like, bigger event agencies will like know all the people in the event world, but like, are they? Fully formed in different places where mm-hmm. they can like pick up the phone and call a school and be like, hey, can you do this thing? And they say yes. Um, that allows us to be very, very flexible. Okay. And, and that's what's, that's what's been really cool for us over the last uh, seven years. That's awesome. That's, that's great stuff. You, you saw a way to build a niche and a really competitive marketplace. So good for you. And congratulations on the yeah. growth of the agency. Um, a couple of quick wrap-up questions. You've actually covered uh, some answers on both of these, but just one more, one more uh, time around on the how do you stay smart questions. Or anything specific you'd want to mention on Twitter or any other podcasts or blogs or something like that? Um, how I stay smart is that I listen to people and I have coffees with people who are older and younger than me. And I think the older part is of paramount importance. Um, I'm a cusp millennial, so I was born in the 80s. Um, 
I have lots of friends and mentors and this friend people who I have a, a monthly coffee with were in their 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Um, some of the best advice from business are, have, I've gotten for, are from those folks who I talk to. And I think when thinking about business especially, learning from people who've done it before without everything at their fingertips is so key to being able to manage the world when everything's at your fingertips. Mm -hmm. So That's a good point. Like if yeah. you can if you can find some really cool folks that, that you know you meet who are willing of uh, uh, giving up their time to have a chat with you, embrace that immensely. And this and the reverse happens as well. So you know, I talk to high school students a lot because I'm involved with a lot of nonprofits because I think girls education especially is the key of the future. Like I didn't have to worry about what private school I was going to go to and what college I was going to go to because I came from an upper middle class family. But there are plenty of kids who look like me who don't have those opportunities. So I spend a lot of my time mentoring and giving talks to high school students because I also I want to hear what's going on. Like, yeah. what are you guys up to? What are you listening to? Yes, Cardi B is amazing. I know. Um, but uh, but tell me what's happening in, in this industry. But like that, it's, it's always about this cross pollination that's of yeah. paramount importance. And you will be pleasantly surprised by the wisdom you get from people who are younger and also older from you. Wow, so. that's great. So Thank you. Um, and then finally, um, any specific, I mean, that was kind of career advice, but any specific career advice or points mm -hmm. related to career advice three that things. you haven't made? Oh, yeah, yeah. I do things okay. in three. Um, be nice to people. Um, there is a current book out called with, by um, uh, Fran Hauser, uh, which is about the power of the nice girl. I encourage men and women to read this book. Fran Hauser yeah. from the media business. Yeah, I used to work with her. Yeah, I didn't know well. So how do I know her through? I know her through high school. Oh, that's too funny. That's right. how I know her. Okay. Um, see how the world is unbelievable. See, we're like yeah. that, that proves my point. We used to work. We used to work in, in offices next door to each other at AOL. Oh my god! After the merger with Time Warner. Yeah. Oh my gosh! That is a, see. She was in charge of AOL movies, and I was AOL sports. Oh my gosh. Yeah, look, her book launched, I think, yesterday. Yeah. And I, that's unbelievable. Okay. But yeah, I know that's how I know her through this the high school organization. Okay. Like, that's literally how nice. I know her. Okay. Um, but like, she talks, her book's all about how being the power of nice and being good to people. And I think in this industry where people think everything's transactional, the fact that you can be nice to people um, is a paramount importance to getting success in the world. I, I can't tell you the number of people who said because of that. They've returned my phone call, sent me an email, sent me a piece of business. And it wasn't because I thought that they would get me somewhere, but like, oh, of course I'd be nice to you. Like, that's a, I'm a human being. But like, like the world is full of horrible people. Um, two, um, understand the value of consistently learning. And that can be reading the New York Times, that can be reading things that like you may not it may not be your typical purview, but read it. Like we, like when I was a little kid, my parents made me read the dictionary, the Encyclopedia Britannica, Aardvark to Xenophone. I know the entire thing. I used to be able to do a whole rhyme through the A to Z. It was terrible. But because I read so much, I one, had a better vocabulary, but two, just had a different perspective on the world. And I think it's a lost art. And I, like I said, I don't have as much time as I wish I did to read. Um, which is why I listen to podcasts and listen to books on, on, on Audible because like that's consistently learning is so important because the more, like I won't hire someone who has an event planning degree. Like I'm not interested. 
I want to know that you will come to your, I can teach you how to run a, build a run of show and talk to people. And, but if you don't have another world that you come from where your, your experiences can infuse your job with me, it's not going to be valuable to me mm-hmm. because like that, like we are in the people business. Yeah. You have to be able to talk yeah. to people. So that's really important. And then third, networking is of paramount importance. But it's the networking whereby you're doing it because you want to build relationships for the long game. Like we talk about, okay, I want to meet these five people at this particular conference. Well, that's great. And you met those five people, but who else did you meet? Because the person who you were sitting next to, say hello to, because that person may be the person who can refer you to their cousin who is the head of blah, blah, blah at that place. And we get so caught up in that, like, if I'm going to this event, I need those five people, and it's the only people I want to talk to, and I'm going to wait online the entire night to meet those people and not talk to anybody else but those five people and miss meeting seven other people who could be great for your business. And so that's where I think we oftentimes we do networking incorrectly. It's a really good point. You see um, people at these conferences and stuff just wait, literally the, the, waiting online. The entire day. For 10 or 15 minutes, minutes to person, person, and they're not while gonna, everybody else is leaving the room. They're all leaving the room. That person up there yeah. literally is like, not going to give you their card. They may get, you might get their assistant, or they will never follow up with you. And it's not because they don't want you. They just don't have the time. Right. And it might be like a better thing to do, like DM me on Twitter. That might be, and tell me how we met. Like that's probably how you're going to get in touch with those people, as opposed to like, 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 use conferences and use events as an opportunity to build relationships instead of building dollars. Yes. I think that's kind of the best way to sort of put it because those relationships will lead to dollars. And if you go into with the mindset like, oh, I want to just meet two or three people tonight, no matter who they are, no matter what they do, just great to meet you, you're building those relationships. And again, that may never lead to anything, but if you get in the habit of doing that, whereby like, I'm just here to meet some cool people, I'm consistently surprised by the people who have have done that over the years versus the people who are always very transactional. And you see where those people are versus where you see those people are. And it's the difference is quite stark. So I think that's, I think those are the kind of key points um, when thinking about some really good career advice. So thank you for that. All right. Um, before I say goodbye, uh, we say goodbye. Um, where can everybody find you, Deep Flash, and the Reset Podcast? Multiple places. So our website is dflash.co, so that's co. Um, I'm on every social platform with L M I G N O, Aminio, how I pronounce my last name. Um, Dflash is Dflash NYC. And then the Reset Podcast is literally at the Reset Podcast everywhere where podcasts are heard. So um, iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, iHeart, Lisbon, um, we're also on Stitcher, you name it, we're there. Wow, Laura, thank you so much. That was a great conversation. Thanks so everybody, you've been listening to Laura Mignot, who's a, an amazing person, uh, the founder, our co-founder and CEO of DFlash, uh, Communications Experience Agency. Got that right on, on the second time. Uh, and also the founder and host of the Reset Podcast, which I encourage everybody to check out. I've checked it out. It's great. I think everybody would like that. Um, And also one of the consummate networkers uh, that I know of in New York City. So I I encourage you all to potentially reach out to her on one of those many platforms that that you're on to to have a chat and and take all this really good advice to heart because it's it's, it's really good. These are really good insights. So thank you, Laura. Thank you. Great time. Um, Thank you, Maurice. 
Thanks, everybody, for listening. This has been the latest episode of The Cusp Show. We'll see everybody next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Cusp Show, the Columbia University Sports Podcast. I'm Tom Richardson, and my host is Joe Fabrito. My production assistant this week is Columbia student Reese Eisenman. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple's podcast app, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and other key platforms. You can also find it at blogtalkradio.com forward slash The Cusp Show. And you can get in touch with us on Twitter at CU underscore SPS underscore sports. Also, you can find out more about our program, Columbia University Sports Management Program, by going online at sps.columbia.edu forward slash sports hyphen management. Thank you very much. We'll see you next time.